Well, good morning. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to the book of 1 John. As you turn there, it's, I've heard uh, for a long time and experienced this often as a pastor, and I've heard many other preachers say it, that it is much easier to preach uh, after good music. And it's much easier to preach after we sing praises to the Lord the way we did. And so, Andrew, thank you for that. And the great reminder of the simplicity of those, the one word repeated three times as we see pictures of heaven in the Scripture where the angels sing eternally that song as a descriptor of the Lord, holy, holy, holy. And what a great reminder of what our God is. That is difficult as it is for us to fathom what that means, uh, that we can sing with the angels that the Lord is holy, holy, holy. This morning, we will be looking at 1 John chapter 2. If you're visiting with us this morning, we want to welcome you especially, uh, welcome you to worship this morning and pray that you're both made to feel welcome, but also that the Lord will speak to you through His Word this morning. First John, we're actually going to go back into chapter 2 and read a couple of verses and then move on into chapter 3. I invite you, if you're able to, this morning to stand with me in reverence to God's Word. First John chapter 2, beginning in verse 28, then we'll move into chapter 3. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, you may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as He is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. You may be seated. 
Our passage this morning has two particular parts that I want us to consider. In your Bible, possibly, depending on the translation you're using this morning, you may have a heading above this particular section that says, Children of God. And so it has been aptly named by those who have put together the Scriptures for us. This passage is a reminder that we are the children of God if we are in Christ. That is an important position. In fact, it is our most important position on earth. It is a position and the only position that truly carries over into the life that is to come. Our relationships with other people will not be as they are when we are in heaven. But our relationship with the Lord as His child will continue on. The the Bible describes us as adopted sons and daughters of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. As joint heirs with Christ. The, The blessings and the inheritance that Christ receives from the Father is the blessings and inheritance that is given to us. But there's a contrast in this passage. A contrast between two different ways of life, two different ways of living, two different existences. And it is a contrast that we'll see this morning between hope on the one hand for the children of God and despair on the other for those who practice lawlessness, as John calls it, those who continue on in sin, those who follow the way that the devil has followed. So that's what I want us to see this morning, is this contrast, because I believe that it is abundantly clear in Scripture what the contrast is, but unfortunately, it does not always appear to be clear in our own lives. While the Scripture makes this stark contrast between the children of God who have hope in what is ahead, who have hope in His coming, who have hope in His deliverance of them, and those who are in darkness, those who do the works of Satan himself, the contrast is clear in Scripture, but not always clear in our own life, though it should certainly be. So let's see that contrast this morning. The first verses here in verse 28 through chapter 3, verse 3, we see the children of God, and then in the remaining verses, verses 4 through 10, we'll see the despair of those who practice sin. So first, children who abide in Him. The the thing we see from this section is that children who abide in Christ have hope. Children who abide in Christ have hope. Now, when John says little children here, he is not talking about the little children, as in people from ages birth to the fourth grade or fifth grade. He is talking about followers of Christ. He is not writing this letter to Sunday school children, but in fact to the people that he sees as his little children because for many of them he has shared the gospel with them. He has seen them come to faith in Christ. He has nurtured them and discipled them. And so to him they are his little children. And these little children, these children who abide in Christ have hope. 
We see that they have hope because they, they don't shrink away. They're not scared. They're not worried when He comes. They, they know that when Christ comes, it will be a, a day of confidence for them. They know that He is going to transform their life, that He is going to change them. They will be like He is because they will see Him as He is. So children who abide in Him have hope. So what does that look like? What does the hope look like? That's what he spends these verses explaining. So the first is that they have confidence. So they have hope, and this hope brings about confidence. He says in verse 28, Now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears you may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. There was an earnest expectation in Jesus' day sorry, in John's day, that Jesus was going to return quickly. The reality is that the Bible always tells us to be in anticipation of Christ's return. That no matter how long it takes, no matter how much time passes, that in the scheme of eternity, the return of Christ is close by. That everything in our life, that the orientation of our life, that the focus of our life should be with this truth in mind. Jesus is coming again. And everything that we do revolves around that reality. Now I think many of us do not live with an honest expectation of Christ's return. We're not ready for it. We're not thinking about it. We're not living our lives thinking that it could happen today. So often, we're planning for our own things for tomorrow. And we have little thought to the fact that Jesus comes quickly. That He'll come like a thief in the night. That it will come when we least expect. And that His coming will change everything once again. John reminds his audience though that if we abide in Him, so if we're little children with hope in Christ, that we can face His return with confidence. We can be ready for it. We can be found doing what He has called us to do. That instead of doing our own thing, instead of doing the world's thing, that when Jesus returns, we would be found living faithfully for Him. Abiding in Him means that we will be living faithfully for Him, and therefore we can have confidence when He returns. We would not shrink back from Him in shame at His coming. And yet, how often are we doing things, engaged in activities, and living our life in such a way that if Jesus returned, we would have no choice but to shrink back in fear. We would have no choice but to shrink back in shame. Because we're simply not living our life the way Christ has called us to live. We are not being obedient to Him and His calling for our life. 
Friends, when we abide in Christ, when we are living for Him, when we are obeying His commandments, when we are resting in His providence for us, resting in His salvation, we are then prepared for His return. This is the contrast between hope and despair. Without Him, we have no hope. Without Him, we have no confidence. We can only despair at His coming. But friends, if we are abiding in Christ, if we are resting in Him, if He is providing the direction for our life, and friends, we're ready for that moment. We're ready for when He returns. We can know that, that when He comes, we can stand there with confidence that He is coming for us because we are resting in Him. So children who abide in Him have hope, and the hope gives them confidence. But it, it doesn't stop there because children who abide in hope will demonstrate to whom they belong. Look at the next couple of verses. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know Him is it did not know us. Friends, when we're abiding in Him, we are living in a manner that demonstrates the one we're abiding in. So we, we can't say that we are abiding in Christ and then be demonstrating that we're really abiding in something else. So we hear people, frankly, often will talk about the fact that they abide in Christ. So they, they'll word it differently. They'll say they're a Christian or they'll say they're a faithful church member or something like that. But when we examine their life, when we see what they are demonstrating in their life, we recognize that they are not abiding in Christ. They're not resting in Him. He is not primary for their life, but rather they are abiding in their sin. They're abiding in their worldliness. But he tells us in verse 29 that everyone, everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. But he'll conclude this section in verse 10 by saying whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. And so if we're abiding in Christ, it's going to be abundantly clear where we are putting our faith and hope. When you look at your own life and you think about what it would be to, to step out of your life and begin to view your life as if it were a movie. And you're watching your day in and day out activities. You're watching what you do in the morning and what you do in the afternoon and how you spend your evenings. Would you look at your own life as if it were a movie and come away from that movie saying, here is a person who abides in Christ. Here is a person who practices righteousness and therefore we know that their hope is found in Christ. Friends, if you come away from watching your own life 
and you do not come to that conclusion, then you've got a problem. Because we're told that the one who practices righteousness has been born of him. If you watch your own life, if you examine yourself and you do not find a person who is living a righteous life, who is pursuing Christ, yes, with failures, yes, with sin, but pursuing Christ, resting in Him, trusting in Him, there is a problem. Because the one who does not practice righteousness is not of God. The one, the child, the, the, the child of God who abides in him has hope. And that hope is demonstrated in righteous living. That hope demonstrates who we belong to. If we practice sinfulness, if we live an unrighteous life, it clearly demonstrates that we belong to ourselves, that we belong to our sin. But when we practice righteousness, when we live faithfully before Christ, when we obey what He has called us to do, when we rest in His presence in our life, when the Spirit of God dwells within us and leads and guides our life, then we are able to say that we belong to God. Friends, so often we tell people that they belong to God because they have said a prayer or they have walked an aisle. But the reality is if we want to look at the life of another person, if we want to look at our own life, the test is not praying a prayer or passing through the waters of baptism or attending church or being on a roll. The test is righteous living. We are called to practice righteousness because the Father has shown us this great love that verse 1 talks about, this, this love that we're called to be the children of God, and so we are. Friends, we are not like the other religions of the world where they have people who are adherents to that religion, where they, they follow that religion. They're members of it, friends. We are members of God's family. We are called His children. And so we are. So we are. This is the kind of love that the Father has for us. And then there's a, a third thing about those who abide in Him. We see it in verses 2 through 3. So, so the first, they have or we have confidence. The second is that we demonstrate to who we belong to. And then our hope is found, this hope that we have is found in what is to come. We, we live out this hope. We abide in Him and have hope. And it's hope that's not found in now, but it's hope that is found in what is to come. Verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him, in other words, hopes in what is to come, purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who hopes in him and hopes in what is to come purifies himself as he is pure. Friends, this passage is not only talking about being children of God now, 
but it's talking about the wonderful life that we have with Christ forever because of what He has done. We shall be like Him and we shall see Him as He is. What is He talking about here? John has this wonderful picture of Jesus. He has seen the resurrected Jesus. He has seen Jesus after God has raised Him from the dead. He has also witnessed the great coming of Jesus a second time. He has seen Him as the great victor, the conquering King. He has seen Him and been both excited and fearful. And so He knows that when Jesus comes again, Jesus is going to destroy sin. He is going to destroy everything that is wicked. He is going to destroy all lawlessness, and He is going to welcome His children home. He is going to make His children, not only as they are now, He's not going to just perfect that, but He's going to make them like Jesus is. Jesus is going to make us like He is. Jesus talks about the resurrection. Not only His own resurrection, but one day our resurrection. That God will raise us up on that final day. A resurrection to life for we are with Him forever. That the aches and pains of this world are gone. That death has been eradicated. And we are made alive forever with Christ. Friends, there is nothing that anyone can promise you on this earth and in this life that adds up to that. Nothing that even comes close. And so our hope, our hope as believers in Christ is found in what is to come and not what has already been. We have hope because Christ has went to the cross at a point in time in history in the past. But friends, he did not stop there. And he's promised us new life with him. That this life we have, this world we live in, is not all that we have. It will not be all that there will be. But there is more and there is something greater. And so the caution for us then is that we can't live simply for this life. We have things in this life that we must do. We must put food on the table. We must tend to our family, our spouses, our children. God has called us to faithful living in this life. He has called us to share His good news with others, to, to bring to them the message, the gospel of Christ, to, to make disciples of all nations. He has called us to live uprightly. In fact, He's done so just in this passage but he's done so knowing that what is greatest is ahead of us. What is most important is ahead of us. Friends, we can't simply live for this life. I've recently been having conversations with my parents about financial planning for the rest of their lives. And over the next few weeks, both of my parents will turn 70. And so that's the time, it should be the time, that you begin to make plans and preparations. In fact, my parents have done so before that, and so I'm thankful. 
But when you begin to make those plans and begin to think about those things and talk about those things, you, you have to do so knowing that it's not only about what you have here. Some of you are 40 and 50 years younger than my parents. If all of your preparations and all of your work is about what you have and do in this life, friends, you will be sorely disappointed. Because it can all disappear in a moment. We, we, we know now that just in the time of social media, if you have great value in the stock market, a, a single message on social media can destroy billions of dollars worth of wealth. That one bad decision by a CEO can wipe out the value of huge portions of the stock market. There's no security to have there. Maybe you've worked your whole life on, on some type of, of home to have. Friends, you could go home today and it'd be burned to the ground. Gone. You want to have the nicest car. Trust me, someone could hit it in the parking lot today. Friends, our hope is not here. We have work to do here. There are plans to be made here. There are things that God has called us to accomplish here. But all of those things are in preparation for what is ahead, not what is now. And if you spend your entire life focused on this life, you will get to the end of your life and you will have little to show for it. It's why the people of our world in the secular age in which we live spend all of their time working for things now because it is their firm belief that one day they will take their final breath and that will be it. They will no longer cease to exist. And when they no longer cease to exist, they will have nothing ahead of them. And so they have to spend all of their time living life to whatever fullest extent they believe is necessary now because that is all that they have. But friends, far too many Christians live just like that. They act like this is all there is and that there is nothing more and they spend all of their time focused on this life. Friends, do not be like that. Abide in Christ. Trust in Him. And when you trust in Him, you will demonstrate to a watching world that you believe, that you know with confidence, there is something greater than now. Your life will show that clearly. So these are the children of God. These are the children of God who hope in Him, who abide in Him. They focus on tomorrow. But he gives some attention in these last verses to a contrast. Children of God on one hand, hoping in the life to come, demonstrating who they follow. But then he transitions in verse 4 and shows the contrast of someone who follows after the Lord. He talks about the practice of sin. And he tells us in these last verses how the practice of sin leads to lawlessness. The practice of sin leads to lawlessness. 
He says in verse 4, everyone who makes practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. So what is lawlessness? Well, lawlessness is the rejection of God's rule and reign on earth. It is rebellion, open rebellion against God. Friends, I think we could say very clearly that for the majority of our culture, we live in a state of lawlessness. That in many parts of the world, people are governed by lawlessness. In fact, sometimes it is people who want more and more and more laws who actually are promoting more and more and more lawlessness. Lawlessness leads to despair. And so that is the practice of sin. The practice of sin, the continual habitual sin over and over and over again is the practice of lawlessness. People enjoy their sin. Friends, if we're honest, we still have to fight against not only sin, but the enjoyment of sin. Our sin often will give us comfort. It makes us temporarily happy. It fulfills some type of need that we think we have. And yet we read in verse 5 that it was Jesus who came, who appeared, who, who arrived on the scene in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. The despair that comes from following after constant sin is despair because of lawlessness. But Jesus is the solution to sin. Jesus is the solution to the problem that we have. That is why Jesus came. He came to combat lawlessness. We often hear this idea that somehow Jesus would be accepting of our lawlessness in life, that He would be okay with it, that because humanity has changed, Jesus would come on the scene and He would have a different opinion about sin and lawlessness. But John's argument here shows us that that's a ridiculous notion. Because Jesus' point was to come and take away sins because in Him there is no sin. And the one that abides in Him, so us, we, these little children John has been talking about, when we abide in Him, we do not keep on sinning. In fact, if we keep on sinning, we have neither seen Him or known Him. Friends, this constant practice of sin will lead to despair. The one in our culture, the one in our community, the one in our family who continues practicing sin, practicing lawlessness, will not one day find joy in it, but will constantly be led to despair. Think about your own life. Many of you who were saved later in life and you spent part of your life as, as someone who was a practicer of sin, who lived in sin, who understood that lawlessness of rejecting God. If you're in Christ, it's not because those things brought you joy, but because in your point of despair, God called you out of your sin and saved you from your lawlessness. 
Where does this come from? Well, he tells us in verses 7 and 8 that the practice of lawlessness is from the devil himself. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Friends, do not be deceived about this. You cannot continue in your sin. You cannot continue to practice disobedience and rebellion against God and at the same time be found in God. It does not work that way. We see that. We see that clearly in every other area of our life. In every other area, we understand that you cannot have double loyalties. We understand that someone cannot hold two things to be true that are polar opposites. But when it comes to God, so often we have decided that a person can practice lawlessness, can practice sin, and at the same time follow after God. Friends, it cannot be the same. They are opposing. When you look at your own life, again, step out and you're viewing it as a movie, you understand that those things are not compatible with each other. If you continually practice sin, you cannot then turn around and say that you are a faithful follower of Christ. Because He came to destroy those works. He didn't come to to just wrap his arm around a sinner and say, it's going to be okay, just do better. He he didn't come to to play patty cake with sin and and say that, that, well, this is okay or we should tolerate that. Friends, he came to destroy the works of the devil. And when he returns, he will destroy forever death and hell and the grave. Sin will be eradicated. And friends, those who practice Lawlessness will be separated from God forever in a place called hell. There'll be no other option. There'll be no tolerance of sin. You and I have a sin problem, and Christ came to destroy that sin. That's why there's such despair for the one who practices sin. Because they are practicing something that has come from Satan himself. And Satan is a defeated foe. He has been defeated at the cross. He will be cast into the lake of fire on that day when God judges the living and the dead. His power will be no more. And so when we partner with Him in sin, friends, we can only despair. Because like Him, we have no hope. And so what is it for those who are born of God? These last two verses. He tells us, he says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Friends, it's clear. 
it's really clear. We have made a mockery of the relationship that we are to have with God. When we act like we can continue in our sin and also be faithfully His. Friends, if your if your spouse if your spouse had an affair, they came to you and they confessed that, and they said, "I'm only I'm only going to have this affair for a little while, every week, and a little while every month, and just a little while every year. But for the rest of the time, I, I'll I belong to you." Friends, we we would not accept that. That, that would not be an acceptable response. It, it would not be how we would see it as okay. It would not be how our relationship would be restored. And yet we constantly try to do that in our relationship with God. We, we constantly will come to Him and say, God, I, I'm yours, but I'm going to hold this, this little bit of my life. I'm going to hold this piece of my life. I'm going to hold some of, of this. I'm going I'm to have this area, God, where I'm going to kind of still do my thing, but for the rest of it, I belong to you. Friends, that is unacceptable to God. And no one born of God, John says, makes it a practice of sinning. In fact, he goes on in verse 10 to say, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Friends, do you know why every week I stand up here and give an invitation for you to be saved? A lot of preachers have done away with that practice, and I think it's foolishness to have done so. Do you know why? Is because I don't know. I don't know how many of you here this morning are lost. But if we're honest with ourselves in a room this size, there's someone lost here. How do we know if someone is saved? We, we live in a time where, where we're told not to judge people and not to do this. John is judging right here. He says it's evident, it's evident, it's clear who belongs to God and who doesn't. Not because they've, they've walked an aisle at some point, not because a preacher coerced them into praying a prayer, not because their parents made them get baptized when they were a child. None of those things fall into this category. He says it is evident who belongs to God and who does not. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. He's clear about that. If you do not practice righteousness, you cannot claim to be one of God's children. You say, but I've done this and that. He says here, if you do not practice righteousness, you cannot claim to be one of God's children. You say, well, I practice righteousness all the time. Great, there's a second. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. It's interesting because Jesus had given a great commandment, remember? To love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Practice righteousness means that you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. He's just repeating Jesus' command. How do you know yourself? yourself how, do you have, how do you have assurance that you yourself have come to know him? That God has saved you from your sin. You have to have confidence. You have to believe in what he has done. That he died on the cross for your sin. If you don't do that, friends, you, you're not saved. You can't be a Christian and not believe in the power of the cross. That, that Christ was substituted for you on the cross. That he died the death that you deserve to die. That God raised him from the dead and in that you have hope. But friends, if if you have no desire to practice righteousness, if you have no love for your neighbor, if there are people in the world that you just hate them because you want to hate them, because you don't like them, because they don't look like you, whatever it is, friends, you have a problem. And it's called sin. And it's called lawlessness. And Jesus came to solve that problem. He didn't ask you to solve that problem yourself. He didn't ask you to follow this program so that you could be saved. He solved the problem for you on the cross. But you have been called to follow Him. Friends, there's a contrast here. There's a contrast between the children of God and those who live in despair. Those who practice sin and have no hope. Friends, I, I just believe this morning there, there are people here who need to follow Jesus. You've followed religion and you've followed yourself and you've followed some traditions, but you need to follow Christ. Your hope has been in everything else but Him. Your hope has been on the things that you have done in the past, but not what Christ has done for you. And so for you, it's easy to practice sin and lawlessness because we're not really a Christian. You say you are, and you claim to be, and you even try to look like it sometimes, but, but your whole life you faked it because you've never submitted yourself to Christ. You've never trusted in what he has done. Friends, I can't save you this morning. No one around you can save you this morning. But Christ stands calling you to turn from your sin and follow him. Now, for those of you who are Christians, friends, these first verses need to resonate in your life. Are you practicing righteousness? Is your life pleasing to the Lord. If not, today is the day to do something about that. Not tomorrow, not next week, not when you get older. Today is the day to live a life pleasing to Him. Today is the day to practice righteousness and therefore demonstrate who you belong to. Friends, you can't do that by walking up here and praying with me or praying at this altar, though you're welcome to do so. You do that by walking out those doors and living as Christ has called you to live. Not because I have said so. We know that is inadequate, but because the Lord has said so. But friends, someone here is lost. Why would you leave here without hearing more about Christ, about following Him and trusting in Him so that you can go knowing that your hope is not in today, which is fading away quickly. But your hope is in heaven, it is in eternity, it is with Him. And He has given us all things.
because it all belongs to Him. Will you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for the love that You have shown us in Christ. We thank You that You have, have given us abundantly more, abundantly more than we deserve. God, we, we've, we were stuck in our sin. We are separated from You, and You've given us hope. God, I pray for those gathered with us this morning that are lost. God, speak to their heart. God, I pray that You speak to each believer's heart. Do we practice righteousness and therefore demonstrate who we belong to? Do we, do we show in our life that great love that He has shown us by making us His children? Is it clear? Is it clear as we look at our life to whom we belong? God, speak to hearts. Lead and guide lives this morning. God, love us as we make this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me as we sing this final song. I, I think the invitation is clear. I, I hope it is to you. We are either children of God abiding in Him or we are living a life of sin, standing against God. Friends, if you've never followed Him, come and let me share with you how to do that this morning. If you are following Him, friends, live a life pleasing to God. Live a life dedicated to what He's called us to do. Would you respond to God's Word as we sing this song together?